Hello, I'm Rebecca Horan and a very warm welcome to A Little Birdie Told Me, a podcast brought to you by Rollercoaster.ie. In this season, I will sit down and chat to 16 pretty interesting people to discuss pregnancy, parenting and everything in between. On this week's episode, writer, columnist, broadcaster and mum of one, Stephanie Preisner joins me for a very intimate conversation about parenting, loss, her autism diagnosis, her passions and her routine. Stephanie and I do discuss pregnancy loss, so if you're affected by anything in this conversation, please seek the help that you need. So I've got a goodie today. I say that about all my guests, but I have a goodie, goodie, goodie who's taken me a while with our various um, things going on and babas and stuff to get in here. And now that she's in here, I'm keeping her in here. So welcome, Stephanie Preisner, broadcaster and writer who I've always watched from afar and always just admired so much. So thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. I thought it was going to get like so much of parenthood. You just things get cancelled in a flurry oh. of text messages. I was like, is this ever going to happen? Or just on Instagram. Yeah. Just on, on a mess, which is harder because you don't messages. see it. Yeah. yeah. Not in today. Won't be coming in. Something. Yeah, no, it's horrendous. But thrilled to have you. You are on. You just said that you're Bobo. What's her name again? Aurora. Great name. Aurora is six months today, so you've gone through six months of it all. Yeah. Um, I know it's a really passive question. It seems a bit, you know, oh, how is how things, but how are things? Um, things are, um, how are things? Things are improved from when they started. I don't know if that's because I am taking medication now. Okay. <laughs> or because she has okay. um, settled a little bit. I found the newborn, like the first 12 weeks were horrendous. I was like, oh my God, what have I done? What have I done? This podcast is brought to you by Calpol. Is your child struggling to sleep? If so, then try using a soothing Calpol Vapor plug and nightlight, an electrical plug-in device that emits lavender and chamomile vapors to soothe and comfort babies and children, helping to promote clear and easy breathing for up to eight hours. The Calpol Night Vapor Plug and Nightlight is suitable for children from three months. Calpol Vapor Plug and Nightlight is an electrical device and non-medicine. Always read the label. Horrendous, like shock to the system of this new life or actually just really difficult to carry it all? Both. Right. So it was a real shock to the system. I didn't, I think when I imagined having kids, I imagined having maybe five-year-olds, you know? Okay. <laughs> like I didn't imagine having a newborn right trying to establish breastfeeding trying to deal like trying to get her into some sort of a routine so that she knew what night was and what was day and I I'm autistic like I need a routine more than just people who say like oh I really like to have a routine mm. like I needed to regulate myself and mm. so I wasn't able to do that which meant that I was extra autistic which is but you, you know. thrive on it it's what keeps you like you just said regulated but this circadian clock like all the stuff that's thrown at you is really outside our norm yeah you know autistic or not actually it's really outside our norm to be trying to get a child to go from this backwards like it's very stressful but why do some people love it like I just felt like such I felt so depraved because I was like, I hate this. Yeah. And then I have other friends who are like, oh, I love the newborn phase. No, Enjoy I think it's the, the baby. Snuggles. I'm not necessarily, I'm not, I'm not, and I could be completely wrong and I don't want to speak for other women, but I was just saying to you there, like I actually really enjoy the newborn stage, but sorry, not the stuff around it. I think I really love the being loved and needed and the mothering part of it. I don't think I enjoy the elements of breastfeeding, the issues that go on with your body, the change in your body, the um, mastitis, the constant drama, the sleep. Sorry, no, but I'm saying that part of 
parenting when you can control a little bit more they're so in need of you and there's a softness to that and there's a calm like you don't have to go anywhere like I wouldn't be off in Dundrum shopping centre or meeting people I would just stay home with her and I loved that and I do find as they get older obviously everything gets harder and the challenges are bigger and but I know what you're saying about I imagined a fully formed child yes and I would play with her and we would learn things together so I agree with you on that but it gets harder in a different way in what way um, God, I'm now telling you. So. It gets harder in a different way because they now have their own, obviously, personality and communication skills and their way of dealing with the world that you think is going to be exactly what you think. And well, the way you have a way of, <clears throat> like, they understand language. You have a way of negotiating with them yes, or a way of, of explaining oh, things. Of course. And like, unless your child is completely, you know, wayward or out, like, of course, you have a way of describing and it's really beautiful. But it's also like, I think personally, maybe a narcissism in me or maybe I thought you just make the child that's exactly thinking and doing exactly what you want to do and I found that a struggle to discover um, my five-year-old actually she's five now just has her own mind and her own um, abilities and her own unique tastes and things and her own personality and it's just kind of that control of like they're going to be their own people no matter what they're actually going to live their own little life and go off and do whatever. And yes, there's like negotiation and discipline, but they are who they are effectively mm-hmm. and you can't change them. So I found that, I think, as a control person who likes to control things, I found that really intense. Yeah. And the sparring and all that. But the baby, I do understand what you're saying. The baby stuff is also really tricky. She was also really sick at like 10 weeks. She got RSV, so we were in and out of Temple Street. But that's awful. And that was horrific. But that's a trauma. Yeah. But Temple Street were amazing. But like, yeah, it was really... But sure, you're saying, oh, it was really hard. And I'm thinking, oh, is it just hard? You had, a, you had to go to hospital with a tiny baby. That's really hard, Stephanie. So that's not what everyone has to go through. Yes. Remember yeah. that. But they were also saying that in Temple Street, you know, they were like, what? This is, this is a lot. Like, this is not normal. Yeah. We don't all head into Temple Street as much as it, we talk about all these things on the right, you know, RSV. It's really hard. Yeah. So there was that. That was also tough. But then between Christmas and New Year, I started taking some medication. And did you go and ask? Did you feel you needed to ask at that point? Were you just finding it really? I was linked in with the mental health team in Hollis Street. I still am. They're amazing. Yeah. They will see me for up to a year postpartum. And um, they kind of suggested it at that point because it had been 12 weeks. And, you know, they sort of, you know, the first, the initial four weeks, it's like, yes, this is very intense. Mm -hmm. This is sort of a standard Mm -hmm. thing. And then as it comes to eight, 10 weeks, where they might see an improvement in other women that wasn't happening for me. And was there, for you, was there crying or just overwhelm or everything? Like, what did you feel you were... Yeah, cry, tearful, dread, not wanting, not being able to leave the house, mm. then not being able to leave one particular room, waking up in the morning and just feeling like, I can't do this again, crying into my dinner every night because I knew that another night was happening. Um, and just not being able to find any joy in life and not being able to sleep even when she was asleep. You know, so at that point it was like, okay, now you're chronically sleep deprived. And um, it wasn't that I I didn't meet any of the criteria for postnatal depression, but it was that like as an autistic person, I was not able to access the supports that I need to regulate myself on a daily basis. And that was really impacting my mental health. Of course. And the pits. Yeah. So, but then like I noticed I I took uh, the week between Christmas and New Year, I was hosting Newstalk Breakfast. Mm. And that's hard as amazing great. as it is oh, okay you found it good to get out and do yeah. that okay, I was like this is you didn't find it hard to have to get up early and go in no okay wow it was amazing okay. and 
I so we were in Cork for Christmas then we came to Dublin to do for me to do Newstock and then we went back to Cork for New Year and I noticed a remarkable difference between how I was at Christmas in Cork and how I was in over New Year's in Cork and the medication does take a while to um, to kick in so I started taking it before Christmas but I noticed that I was like a bit lighter mm. and I would say that like now it's less anxiety and more just worry and worry is normal you know like everyone has worries but it's not this sort of crippling it's not taking over your body where it's all consuming do you have a newfound and this is such a like cliche do you have a newfound admiration for kind of I suppose moms and how we look at them in the media and they're written about and we see them and we talk about our own moms and we and we see women going in to labour on TV shows, but do you have a newfound, like, oh my God, it's crazy? Or did you always have that? I don't know. Like, I think that it's so individual. Some women seem to just take it in their stride, you know? Well, they seem to take Mm. it in their stride. I don't know if they actually do. And I feel like I don't, I can't relate to the mothers that I see on television because it doesn't seem to be the what I'm experiencing. Wow. And so it feels very lonely and very isolating and it makes me feel like, oh, I'm doing something wrong. I don't have an admiration because I don't understand it. I feel like it's re- the mothers with a capital M is this sort of mysterious club that yeah. I'm not part of. Yeah. <laughs> I am by virtue of the fact that I have a child, yeah. but I, I, th- I think we're doing something differently and I don't know what it is. But do you not think it's better, even though social media can be vile, do you not think it's better now the people who are open about their struggles or mental health, they're overwhelmed, that it's not all picture perfect, that are you finding there's newfound clubs now that there wasn't and that that's really great or not really? I don't find that much of it. Like, I feel like I'm sometimes talking to a vacuum. For mm. example, when I put up a picture of Aurora on Instagram, so many messages uh, like so many comments underneath public comments um, saying oh you know it's so amazing enjoy the newborn snuggles and I texted one of them and I was like please like I'm really really struggling and they wrote back and they were like oh it's hell it's f- <laughs> hell it is horrific no one t- and I was like why are you publicly commenting but I think it's also we have a shame and maybe correct me if I'm wrong is there a bit of a like we have to be seen, okay, correct me if I'm wrong, to say you're so lucky and blessed and well, because if we don't, we're ungrateful or something. Is this also it? Because we have to also remember, and Elizabeth Day did a beautiful piece for Mother's Day because she has that author in England who's been struggling to conceive and she's mm-hmm. gone through hell with her fertility and IVF. And there was a most beautiful poem that she put on Instagram where it's like, today I'll put down my armory. And like, she's obviously really would love a child. Does it seem like we're not grateful which is so bad if we complain about it or we're honest or we're raw or we're open and we're a bleeding wound and that it's easier to go, you're so lucky, she's beautiful, Stephanie, well done. And then privately go, what a shit show. See, I don't... Is that it? Maybe, but so again... When I complain, I find to my friends sometimes they're like, I know, but she's so gorgeous. And, and then like, I just backtrack. I just backtrack. Well, I'm yeah, back because it's it. like... Back out of it. We are not uh, like object... Uh, her looks are nothing to do with no, it. No, but it's in like, you're so lucky to have her. Well, so the thing is that, uh, so sometimes these social rules, as Mm -hmm. an autistic person, I don't get it. They're awful. I don't. It's not real. It's not authentic. Yeah, it's not authentic. Mm -hmm. So I don't understand. And maybe like two things can exist at once. Like I can be really grateful that eventually after all of the miscarriages, I have a live baby and hate this period of it. I love this. I absolutely think you have nailed Everything that we're tr- I'm trying to say here. So we have the mothering, the parenting magazines, the perfection, the holding the baby that's been snogging you, which is just not reality. Like all this sexy stuff going on at home. But it's bullshit. And, and it's it, all bullshit. the thing is that, so say these parenting magazines or the 
ads that are trying to sell you something, they don't have time for nuance. Social media doesn't have time for nuance. It's not sexy. So they can't hold two things in their mind at once. It just has to be all great. direct. And so, like, if you're having a miscarriage, that has to be all sad. You're not, you know, you can't have any happiness. And if you post on social media after something terrible happens and then the next day you post yourself smiling you'll get someone being like I thought you can't believe that you're having a bad day yes so yeah and I don't understand it it really like there has to be room for two things to exist at one time 100% and there are people who miscarry believe it or not who were grateful because they they didn't want that pregnancy yeah or it wasn't going great anyway or there was a lot of um, stress behind it or they're doing it on their own. And I know this for a fact, having spoken to women after my experiences, they were like, do you know what? I remember it happening and the devastation of the kind of like the pain of the, but then going, whew, I'm relieved. And well, this not being allowed to say that. Like the, the, the first time that, the first miscarriage I had was in the second trimester and we knew that there was something wrong. Um, and we had had like, you know, we'd had genetic, t- we had an amniocentesis and we had genetic testing done. And, you know, they were talking to us about fatal fetal abnormality oh and is it fatal enough? And if it's not fatal enough, you're going to have to travel well, or travel to the UK for an abortion and all of this stuff. And it was so overwhelming. And then I was working in RTE and I got this awful pain. I think it was like 15, 16 weeks. Oh, God, stop. And I went to Hollis Street and there was still a heartbeat. And this and, and I just remember that night when I was miscarrying there so there were then then I miscarried but I had to take some medication to clear it because mm. it wasn't passing and the nurse just said to me she put her hand on me and she was like well at least the decision was taken out of your hands and I was well, like this right. is true she's right but you can't say that because you can't people. say that because the decision was going to be hellish yes and probably going to I mean a lot you can't in inverted commas mm, you know sure, sure. So, because it's not socially acceptable but like wow. so yes of course I'm grateful to have a child but I'm allowed. But it's Don't not all of you me. either. Yeah. It's not all of who you are. Well, Stephanie's a mom now. Well, actually, no, you'd have a massive career before this. You're and that's something I'm really resentful about. Like I said, I was coming this out this is, morning. This is how I felt, yeah. Because it's interesting that you said the news talk thing. I'm like, did you find that really exhausting? You're like, no. And that's because you are getting to use a part of your brain that you haven't gotten to use. Yeah. And I said to Noel this morning, so my husband is minding the baby so I can do this podcast. And I said, oh, God, I just wish that you could be the stay-at-home mum <laughs> because the resentment gets harder just the the psychological burden of motherhood on and my husband is amazing like he'll do anything but it's still me worrying okay so we started putting her on solid food she has an allergy to egg and she has an allergy to milk so I have to start the egg ladder and because you know the healthcare situation is the way it is only one of us can go in to the doctor so I take all the information and then it's up to me to do the consultation with the allergist to work out how we're going to do the egg letter and how we're going to start and yes he's at home with her now and I, but I have to explain to him 100%. take this little bit of a biscuit and sprinkle it across food she's already tolerating and, that's and then exhausting. look at her back and see so it. you're the caregiver as but much as we're like, and, and we do do it, my husband's amazing, or I think our, our I don't know about your mum, but my mum is a devil for, he's an incredible dad. Look at him out playing with them. I'm like, yeah, for Jesus sake, I was up on my boob in one child, the other one had vomited. Like, That's yes, thing, he is a wonderful dad because we're comparing them to the, the you know, years gone by where they did nothing because they were either the sole um, breadwinner or there just wasn't that space for them to be. And that is legitimate. Like, he does have to go out and win bread. You know, we need bread. But I just think I would be an amazing dad. I am an amazing dad. But I'm not. I don't feel like I'm an amazing mom. That's a brilliant quote. I would be an amazing... Yes. 
Because you, you know? lo- you are, love your career. You're so creative. It's where you get your joy, probably, yeah. um, I would say. And then you love this little girl, but it would be nice to have a bit more of the other. Yeah. yeah. And I, I just... I, yeah, I'd be an amazing dad. And I um, cruise on in. But the expectations are different, right? Cruise on in. How did that allergy thing go today? The thing you were doing there? No. Oh yeah, no, that went. It would be cruise lovely, on in. Like yeah, yeah. It? I'll mind her. I'll, now he does the nights, which oh, is wow. really. I know a few dads who do the nights actually. Since we've stopped, since I've stopped breastfeeding. And what does that entail? Uh, now it entails. Like how many times does he have to? Just the once. Now last night. He was up a little bit because I don't know what's going. But last night was um, different to yeah. usual. Yeah. But then he went away for work for a week. Yeah. So I was. How doing did you find that? All of the days and all of the nights. Um, now I didn't do all of the nights, all of the days because his sister is amazing. Wow. And she and my mom also came up, who's also amazing. But his sister is a midwife. Yeah. So I just feel like because. You know, my friend had a baby. Be nice if she lived with you for, for That's I, you know, midwife yeah. living in life. She has to like come from Mayo to me, but she comes every week. It's amazing. Oh. My friend, my best friend had a baby last night in New York and she had a home birth, her second, and we're just so opposite. Okay. Like she <laughs> didn't want to go for any antenatal care. Obviously, she, she wanted a home birth. She didn't want to have to go to the hospital. She didn't want extra scans. Yeah. If I could have moved into the hospital when I found mind out I was pregnant me. and yeah. stay, like I'd yeah. still be in there if they'd have yeah. me. Yeah, just take me, mind me forever and then let the child be free at five. Yeah. And I would cycle with her. Yeah, when she's so learned how to funny. ride a bike. And whereas your woman was just at home. She's, yeah, she's like, and she didn't have any epidurals. And no how do you find her. those conversations? Are they lovely or are they competitive? Oh, they're not competitive. Great. I, I approach her with the curiosity of David Attenborough right. watching <laughs> Antelope. You know? She probably like, is the same to you. Like you're doing things your way. Like, you know, it's funny. There can't be competition with women. I always rem- remember chocolate. my si- half the chocolate, my God. I always remember my sister saying, take the epidural. And I was like, oh, I just want to do it my way. And there's never judgment or competition. It's just advice. And you do what you want with it and you get on with it. And um, But miscarriage, even if there's a relief or even if actually the pregnancy wasn't that fab or even if is really hard mentally. Did you find it really grueling? I found it really changed me for those few months. And then I came out the other end and then you have a baby and you're meant to forget about all that time. No. You have the baby now? I had five of them. And I just, the thing that I miss the most is the naivety of thinking that a positive pregnancy test leads to a baby. Oh yeah. And so for the pregnancy with Aurora, just every day I was like, Okay, today's the day it's going to be over, you know. And I also have an issue with interoception, which is an autistic thing where I, the sensations, I, can, I don't really identify the sensations in my body the way other people do. So things like hunger, anxiety, needing to go to the toilet, those things for autistic people are sometimes kind of scrambled. And so I couldn't feel the movement. Like I would go in for a scan saying I can't feel any movement and they would scan me and show me like look she's moving she's gone crazy yeah and I'm like I can't feel it I can't, wow. I, can't I don't know what that is like because I'm mistaking it for like hunger or I'm mistaking it for or, something yeah um, and so that got dangerous in the end and my obstetrician said if you present one more time with reduced movement mm. you're going home with the baby <laughs> and I was like okay and that actually felt really reassuring so yeah. I was like look if I just have enough of the suspense I can just go in and say Right, I can't feel anything, get it out. <clears throat> and yeah, and then, and it was like she said that to me on a, on a Friday and I had Aurora on the Tuesday morning. 
Thanks for being so helpful um, for other women. And I know you're working with Hollis Street closely now where I've had my two babas and I think they're they're phenomenal. But thanks for being so helpful in your conversations about miscarriage because I think there is, it's a lonely old road. And I think a lot of women don't post it on Instagram. Lots of women do. There's this kind of miss. There's also this kind of misinformation of like, well, everyone back in the day had them and they didn't even talk about it. And your granny had 12. There's a lot of this narrative, mm-hmm. which is quite, I think, a little bit dangerous because whether it's, you know, unexpected whether you want the pregnancy it's really hard and I don't know whether you saw counselling or you just got on with it we kind of were just so happy to get on with it but it's definitely always still going to be with me um, I had an ectopic as well which meant I lost a tube and there was a lot of stuff because I the heartbeat was there and I remember hearing a woman um, having her baby obviously born alive down the hallway and then having this happen and that juxtaposition really affected me for a long time so it is hard so thank you for what you have done by opening that conversation and actually a number of other women in this country now who are doing it because the perfection facade is hard. It's hard and it's so unhelpful. And I have loads of messages, like I get a message, maybe three messages a week of people who have had miscarriages sort of in that day. And it's so sad. And you know, they say like, no one's having this conversation, but you know what I think actually, we are having the conversation but you don't listen until you have to listen. Oh, 100%. You know? Like, if it's not happening to you, it's, oh, poor Deirdre. Yeah. And the same way that there are conversations now happening about menopause, and I'm hearing them, but I'm not listening. Like, I'm listening, but I'm not hearing <laughs> Fair them. Fair enough. And I will, eventually, and I'll, I'll have then menopause. Then you'll tune and I, in. And then I'll be like, why is no one talking about this? Yeah, 100%. Like, yeah, well, they I actually get, are, and they have no, been. No, I do, I get, I get what you're saying. And so... When you have to listen, it is really vital. Yeah, and I think when you have to listen, knowing, oh yeah, Stephanie talked about it, so I can go to her. And I can say something. And, you know, the bereavement team in Hollis Street are amazing. amazing. And I put up this link. They have this Amazon wish list for these for these amazing little memory making things like a little bear that has a heart. You can record the heartbeat of the baby onto it. And, you know, little books that explain miscarriage to other children, to siblings. And I put up this wish list on Instagram saying like, look, the bereavement team in Hollis Street are looking for these things if you want to buy something. Because I think people are much more likely to buy something than just donate random bits totally, of money. Totally. And yeah, Hollis Street were inundated. So it just shows you that like so many people are affected by it and whether or not they say it. It's also, you know, also like you don't have to say it. No, you don't have to and say I it. And I didn't say it when it was happening to me because sure. I couldn't, like you know yourself, when you live your life in public, the attention just feels so hot sometimes. It's just like, oh, just And me. sometimes you want it because you want people to know and understand. Like, I definitely hit some of it and then it was very, like, uh, the topic just, I bled raw. Um, I remember going on a podcast and I, I thought I was okay and just crying my eyes out. But I also think, and I don't know whether you found it, no, you and I both said our partners are great and everything, but I don't know whether you found there was a disconnect. Did he understand or was he great or... Like, I think they understand... Well, first of all, COVID, like he wasn't there for it. He had yeah, to find same, out on the phone same. and then come yeah, in. It's awful. But you also physically have this thing inside you and then it's not inside you. And that emptiness is a physiological yeah. thing that, that a man can't possibly understand. Um, and I just think also this sort of pregnancy being amazing and, you know, these pregnancy photographs. Like pregnancy is objectively a very dangerous thing to do. It also sucks. It sucks. I hate For it. Long, I'm not but a this, you know, woman. like ectopic pregnancies, and I just sometimes feel now. I'm an advocate for the medicalization of pregnancy, whereas I know a lot of um, midwives in the domino scheme and all that will will advocate for it. You know, it's a natural thing, and you just do it at home. Like, no, thank you. You know, and people say to me like, oh, yeah, well, you know, millennia ago, we've been giving birth and we've been doing it at home. It's like, oh, yeah, what were the birth women rates? Women give birth in fields, but sorry, there's still they the maternal also death died. rate. 100%. And Why it's a really dangerous thing. Because it's women's health. 
it's uh, when the ectopic was ha- happening to me I said I need to get a muffin across the road because the pain had subsided and I was in so much pain coming in like I thought I was dying I was like oh god and it had subsided and I said I need to get a muffin from that nice place across the road I was just craving sugar and she goes oh no you could die if you leave the building and I was like why and she goes because it's rupturing I was like what's rupturing the pregnancy and the tube and I remember thinking this is all mental I had a junior mental. doctor <laughs> like a baby doctor he was about 15 I'd say and I just one day I was just so upset and I was like why is this happening to me like what is happening he's like um, like his sweat pouring off him he's like you know like the uterus is just a very mysterious place oh God. Like, you just call me mis- my uterus mysterious it was his <laughs> I just Can you imagine saying that to a man about any issue? I can't. Your penis is mysterious. Like, stop. When you had the ectopic. Your is a mysterious place. place. That isn't, I've never heard the likes. Um, when you had the ectopic, did you know that you were pregnant? Um, I, I didn't. And I was hugely excited because we'd obviously had our miscarriages. And then I could have had one in Japan on a work trip. Horrendous. And then these other ones. And one of the ectopic... That morning, I'd gone up to my GP saying, I'm feeling a bit funky and I'm bleeding a bit, but I think it's that um, implantation. implantation and I'm feeling a bit and the boobs, it's always my boobs first with my pregnancy. And she was like so excited for me because she'd been through everything with us. And I got the, the test, she did the test through the urine and then she did emergency bloods and I thought, she's been funky. Why is she so funky? She's been a bit, giving me a bit too much attention. Maybe I'm a bit of a VIP here, but I think she already had some vibe, right? Because I had had a miscarriage so recently that it wouldn't have been great for me to be pregnant so soon, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And she had elevated HGC levels, yeah. um, which she could see immediately. And I was like, that means it's further along. Maybe the other wasn't actually miscarriage. Maybe that was an implantation. And she goes, no, Rebecca, that was a miscarriage. These are really elevated. Yeah, but maybe I'm five months. She goes, no, okay. So what I want you to do is go home, pack a bag, and you're to go straight into Hollis Street. If you don't go in with your husband, go and get an ambulance in. And I was like, thrilled. I went home to my husband. I was like, oh, we're having a baby. And he was like, well, why are you going <laughs> to, if you're like eight, ten weeks break, why are you going into Hollis Street? And I was like, because she just wants me to go in for it because I have had all this stuff happen didn't have any bad vibes in my mind like nothing now I wasn't feeling the best I definitely remember feeling faint in work I wasn't right there was a lot of sickness with with ectopic it can, yeah. you can get really bad shoulder cramps pain. in your shoulder yeah and I went in and the minute I went in they were doing internal examinations they were doing this they couldn't find the, the pregnancy and I was like oh here we go again but then it became more sinister very very quickly so yeah I did know but only in those days um and then they gave me the methotrexate to go on off home which was an absolute shit show go on off home for the week. So methotrexate is a type of chemo. It's to kind of yeah. let it happen its own way. And that um, was five days of coming in and out for bloods to see if the HGC has gone down and it was rising and it wasn't working. And that's when things kind of went funky. And then I collapsed and had to be brought in and it had already ruptured. So I probably should have taken the surgical route, but I was scared about losing a tube. So I'd gone that way. So look, it was funky town. It wasn't great at all. And at that stage, I think it was just a bag of shit <laughs> it's just yeah. like yeah so I think that was a, a trauma that I'll never really recover from because did you have any miscarriages between the two um between which two? between baby one and baby two. yes so I had it was all between baby oh, okay two. yeah so no nothing since no. yeah so yeah funky time so yeah no I didn't I think topic and it's like a molar pregnancy or much like a miscarriage or you know whatever oh, stage so it's scary just, it's this so what scary I'm saying. like these are yeah. dangerous and things. then I went in and they're like we've got to take this out and I kept saying but just keep her make sure if it's a boy or girl just keep, put it over here push it back in and they just bless them I think they just thought this woman's so stupid 
uh, no, Rebecca, it can't be saved. And I was like, but the, I can see the heartbeat on the screen. And so that was all very mind messing. And I found that really hard. And then Jason couldn't be there. And yeah, I definitely didn't cope well with all of that, I have mm-hmm. to say. Um, and I remember the <clears throat> the guttural scream when I came out of it being over, probably because I was in pain, but also I was just so devastated. So yeah, it was a hard old road then after that. We had another miscarriage after that because they had told me after the methotrexate not to try again for a while, but I did. So that obviously wasn't going to be a great pregnancy. And then we finally got pregnant. So, and there's a lot of pressure then when you finally get pregnant and it starts working out. And was that your second child that you got? Second child. So did you have any issues for the first one? Before the first one? Okay, so secondary infertility. We like looked at each other, which is the hard thing. Because we were like, this is how it is in school. Don't have sex because if you do, you're going to have a pregnancy. Whereas you don't learn in school about all the other stuff. So we were like, we might try this year. Yeah. And we got pregnant immediately and there wasn't one thing that happened. So, yeah, no, it was very, very jarring. Very jarring. And I don't think it's necessarily about age. I don't think it's about anything. I think it's just life, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Can you tell me about your childhood? I feel like I've just spoken at length about my horseshit. Um, Can you tell me about your childhood? What about it? Just tell me about it. Like, what was your childhood like? Were you... Did you embrace things? Did you love life? Were you easy going? Like, how was no. your child? I was an I was. <laughs> You're like, oh no. Well, no, I'm an anxious adult, so I was yeah. an anxious child. <clears throat> I was born in Germany. Um, my parents got divorced when I was young, and we moved back to Ireland. My dad is German. And oh, I didn't know <coughs> that. Yeah, I never knew that. So he stayed over there. Where in Germany? Munich. Well, I never knew that. Yeah, so my half sister is over there now. Um, and moved back to where in Ireland? Moved back to Castleknock, right? And then down to Cork because my mum got work in Cork. Okay. And yeah, I mean, I was an undiagnosed autistic child, so like, I had, I was peculiar in some ways, and um, I found life difficult, you know, from the seams in my socks to taking things literally like when my mum would say she'd pick me up at three on the dot and I'd be looking for the dot at three o'clock like the dot on the floor really upset um and yeah life just seemed I was kind of okay in primary school and then I thought like okay I have this licked now we know I know who everyone is and I know what they all like and I can be around these people and then we moved to first year and all of a sudden like all the girls started changing and wearing different clothes and liking different bands and I couldn't keep up I was like hang on we all decided that we liked Boyzone this was the plan and we ate crackers and Nutella like what are you doing with changing and I just (laughs) couldn't (laughs) I just couldn't keep up and um, so I found yeah like second year third year fourth year quite difficult um, because also then and then actually fifth and sixth year were awful because people wanted to start going out and I was like why can't we just stay having never a sleepover move. and never move and I don't like loud noises and I don't like crowds and you know people would say to me like oh do you want to come and hang out on the wall and I'm like okay but what wall and what are we going to be doing and what time will we be doing it at and what time will we be doing it until and um, just that sort of nebulous teenage years where you kind of hang out and find yourself and you know, rub shoulders with different... I just couldn't. It needed to be more structured for me. Um, So, yeah. Did your mum... Did your mum... Were you close to your mum? Yeah. It was just the two of us, so... Did she struggle with some of these behaviours? Did she embrace them? Did she try and help you? Do you think she was unsure? Do you think now she's very surprised by... She's not surprised. Like, when we did the autism assessment, she was like, how did we not know? Like... (laughs) um, very hard to find out late it's such a it's such a welcome 
I'm sure such a welcome I presume yeah. I'm speaking for you reality to find out something about yourself yeah like it's the same as you know I, I didn't get my eyes tested until I was in my mid-twenties and I have really bad eyesight and I remember coming out of getting my glasses and looking up at this tree in Cabra <laughs> and being like oh my god you can see the individual leaves on a tree like it's the same like learning artistic is like wow this isn't how it it's meant sense, to be like but it, it makes sense yeah and you know I, I have a lot of parents messaging me being like oh I think my child is autistic but I don't want her to have the label and it's like what is that oh my god like much rather no they're gonna get a different label they're gonna be labelled weird they're gonna be labelled you or know they're gonna whatever. struggle with things that they shouldn't have to struggle with yeah and I say to them that like if, if you thought your child needed glasses would you bring them to the optician was she great <laughs> you know exactly was she great at communicating any of these anxieties did she or do you find that she was so busy like do you find that it was just such a different time it was a different time but also you know like she didn't like she could understand like that I had a sensory issue with clothes she never pushed that we just wore I just wore the clothes that were comfortable so what did you do wear the same thing every day um, like, no, but like these kind of clothes that I'm wearing now, so like a hoodie, sweatshirts, um, comfort, comfort. Okay, nothing restrictive. Nothing restrictive. Right. Nothing, and, and my socks had to have like the seams would get caught, and I couldn't wear those, so we'd have to. So she understood my, this. She understood. But she that. didn't question it. No, because autism at the time was a non-speaking mm-hmm. boy who yes. had an obsession with cars yes. and couldn't make eye contact. And like trains. Yeah. But I could make eye contact. No, I wasn't a boy. Yeah. I was terrible at maths, you know? Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, it was yeah, like yeah, yeah. And you were fully functional. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, yeah, so she was really helpful in, you know, uh, but then it was difficult for her because, you know, she would, so say, I, like, I really didn't want to go to my Debs or to my Junior Cert Disco, any of those things. And she pushed me for those because she didn't want me to regret it you know and mm. be resentful of her later in life because I never went to things okay. but now she feels bad I think that she did push me to go to those things because did she knows oh, I hated them oh, yeah. but she always gave me you know she was like go and you can ring me and I'll collect you and, and inevitably I would ring her 10 minutes in being like collect me I hate this and um, yeah I just I never and then, and then I went to university and I hated university and I shouldn't have gone but I did it because everyone was doing it you shouldn't and have gone. That's so interesting. You say that I shouldn't have I feel gone. Like lots of people say that, and, they, and we're all told we have to have third left. Why shouldn't you have gone? Because it was too. You know, I was okay in school. I knew my timetable. The bell rang. I went to this. Mm. You know, but college, college I had like weeks. ten mm. hours or eight hours of class time. That's not enough. And no. so then I took on I took on extra classes to try and keep myself. I used to go into some of the bigger lecture theaters and just sit at the back, and. People wanted to go out clubbing. It was really, it, it was just, there was no support. And if I'd known I was autistic, there actually is a lot of support wow, in university. Okay. Um, but it just all seemed too willy nilly. And, you know, like people even missing, like in, in my three years of college, I missed three hours of <laughs> lectures. And it was because I became obsessed with the Madeleine McCann story. And I, I can become obsessed with things. It's like, it's a typical autistic thing, like mm-hmm. a special interest. And um, <clears throat> so, yeah, um, I, I became kind of obsessed with that and I missed a lecture. Um, because you were literally enthralled in it. Yeah, because I, I was like, I have, we have, to, I, have to find, I have to find her, I have to like find more information. It's incredible. And, um, so, yeah, that college I didn't, like I loved my course, mm-hmm. but, but it wasn't enough. Like I could have done my course 
on a morning, one morning a week. But you're also you very know? bright, Stephanie. Not everyone's very like you are. You would. It was say drama that. and theatre studies, Rebecca. Like we were literally rolling on the floor pretending to be mosquitoes. Do you know? Like it was. <laughs> <laughs> be a mop be a mop fear of stuff you know, I did it as well I know I, I'm being okay I'm being That's facetious so because we did have also theatre yeah. studies and, and literature and yeah. you know Irish theatre history but but it wasn't enough for you medicine yeah. you know do you think you'll relate to Aurora if anything you know you discover anything along the way and you may not at all there may be nothing that I already noticed things about her like she finds transitions really difficult I don't know if all babies are the same but you know like transitions from the bath out of the bath having dinner watching something to turning it off reading a book to the, the book being over the change and things so we okay. have to do like long lead-ins and she loves really deep pressure like really strong squeezes so we do that before bed <laughs> Um, she doesn't love the sensation like we're giving her solid food now and she doesn't love her hands being dirty like she doesn't l- love it so I have to keep kind of like cleaning okay. her hands or she won't take the spoon and are you starting to kind of notice things or do you think you're just going to let things because ch- babies oh, have their different they have their differences ones hands just like clean them yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't you know at the moment she's meeting all of her milestones yeah. um, but because I'm autistic and it is quite hereditary it's genetic um, uh we, you know, the public health nurse and stuff will 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 keep an eye yeah. so that we can get some early intervention if we need it. Um, but yeah, you found your tribe, right? You're talking about college there and the madness and being a beetle and being an upturned beetle, then being a, and then trying to find Madeline and all the things that you went through, right? But you did find your tribe. You had this huge success. You're an incredible writer. Like you know, you just are. You you have a way of speaking. You're, it's a bit like the Marion, not the Marion Keys necessarily, sorry, whom I think have made binge. You're very good at speaking what we are thinking and talking about it and writing as such. And you <laughs> are so talented at that. And like you found that tribe and you became successful at that. And particularly with your show 40. How did you how did you navigate that? Well, I started working in theatre because theatre is like just a dream for autistic people. It's like, here's a script. Here's what to say. Stand there. Do this. When you interact with people, they're going to say the same thing every night and it's going to be great. It was the social stuff around theatre that made me have to leave um, just because so much of, you know, career progression happens in bars and after and, and mm. I just wasn't able for that. But um, so I wrote a couple of plays. Uh, one I had great success with was called Salpadine is My Boyfriend. We toured that internationally um, and that was how I got seen by the TV company and then I wrote Can't Cope Won't Cope and since then I've been screenwriting for like so I had that show which was by myself and then I've written episodes of other shows and you know have other things in development as well but those things it just takes so long Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, sorry what was your question how did I yeah so that pivot like I'm a writer it's a very solitary career and I found my tribe which is kind of just me myself Mm -hmm. I don't have to um, I don't have uh, a tribe per se which sometimes is difficult and sometimes is is, is I think you have a sweet tribe though like yes you do that and then you broadcast on radio and you're asked to do bits and you've kind of you're covering a lot of stuff but you do have a sweet tribe with regards to which I found interesting when I was following you you know, because you're always at the front of a, you know, weekend paper magazine or you'd be talking about your shows and stuff. But then suddenly there was this other tribe where you were kind of informing people via Instagram. Yeah. Um, and not preachy, I'm a journalist, but just these are the things, the facts of this news story today. I'm going to break those down and people would ask you questions. And that became quite a thing mm-hmm. where you got to relate information, discuss it, open up the conversations. And I presume you found great 
following and friendship through that? Or yeah. was it just annoying because you keep doing it then? No, I love it. Yeah. Like, I love yeah. data and I love, yeah. you know, I don't watch television. I don't watch scripted television. I don't watch Netflix. Okay. I watch... Deep. Facts. Oroctus TV. Do you not find that stressful? The news. No. Like, I love it. I need to know because <clears throat> my brain, I need to understand something fully before I can understand it at all. Okay. And so I feel like a lot of the systems in the world and in our country are set up so that they seem quite complex, so that people feel a little bit locked out and that maintains the status quo because mm-hmm. if people feel like government or politics is mm-hmm. is just a bit not for them then that's great because then the people who want to be in power will continue to be in power and power and power and that's power true. and power and that's not to say that I don't support the people who are currently in power yeah. but I think that everybody should be informed and then vote because I also think that in opposition, other people are also taking advantage of people's lack of information mm-hmm. and lack and of understanding and the weaknesses. And, yeah. and, you know, making news stories into a sexy hashtag where they lose all nuance. And I just refuse to let that pass me by. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I have uh, what I do is I explain things and I don't believe that there's any such thing as a stupid question. I just really don't because the brave person who asks the stupid question is asking a question that other people need the answer mm. to but are too afraid to ask and so I break things down in really simple ways and that's one of my talents I, I'm really good at communicating yeah. things simply and so that's what I do you're great and it's so frenetic like you do it and it's like got a lot of detail like oh my god she's so committed to this I'm such a lazy like I just get so like if I do the odd question box usually about parenting because I'm very honest uh, probably too honest like people will kind of ask me stuff how are you finding her sleep regression how are you find I'm just like well this is how that's going yeah but then I forget like I get some questions into a box and I'm like god it's kind of a lot of effort to so you have to stay on top of things you know which is brilliant yeah what is such a like out there question but what is the dream right okay so you've your partner you're ticking away at work stuff I know that that makes you super happy you've got your baby but what is ultimately what would make you content? Because I don't know if happiness is actually the destination, but what would make you really content in your life? Five um, more kids? Uh, no, I don't know if we'll have more kids. Like, I'm definitely not able for it right now. Um, That's so early. How can you even? Yeah, I mean, my goodness. Yeah, no, I, um, we're definitely not thinking about that right now. <laughs> but um, what would make me happy? Um, I'm not really sure. Like, I really enjoy being able to do different bits and pieces. I love the work that I do in radio and the podcasting, but I feel like the pressure when anything becomes the one thing, like, so... You're in a box then. Yeah, so like I'm writing, I'm doing a lot of writing at the moment for TV in the UK and the US. And when it's really intense and I have, you know, like a pilot episode to polish and get delivered, like that, it just feels a little bit like I'm drowning. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like being able to work here and there when yeah. I want to and and I'm able to do that because my husband has a stable job and he okay. goes out to win the bread okay. you know now if I had he would have to give up his job if I were to get something that needed me to be out of the sure. house all the time or travel um, or travel yeah but I don't love travelling Okay. Like that's something that people always find interesting. Like I don't love traveling and I don't love music. And the travel <laughs> thing is that connect nothing connected to do with the moving as a kid or nothing to do with that no. I just don't I love I love going to the same place that I know. I don't okay. like new things. So you wouldn't be like I want to see Melbourne. I want to no. no, that's I've not. been to Australia because I was working. Um Do you love the adventure of travel? No, I don't love any no. adventures. Okay. 
Um, it's not exciting for you to go and just be like, I'm landing here and going to try this restaurant. That's just absolutely not. For you. Okay. I couldn't. Like, so I went to Brisbane twice for the World Theatre Festival I was touring. And um, so I've been to Brisbane twice for cumulatively seven weeks. Mm. And I'd say I've been to about four streets. Like, I won't <laughs> walk through. I don't, I just don't like the new. Is your uh, husband the same? No, he's been wow. everywhere. Okay. And his, so my husband is actually a widower and his first, what, his late wife. Um, they travelled everywhere together. Like, so interesting. They've been to India, North Korea, China. Like, he's been everywhere with her. And so I feel kind of, like, relieved. The only place that I would like to go to because I'm really fascinated by it and have special interest in it is Japan. Okay. Um, but I'm a little bit afraid of the crowds. I love Japan, actually. Um, yeah, I just wouldn't go near the train. Okay. Because I literally remember just gasping at the sheer... And, like... <coughs> I have a claustrophobia about any, but I think that's also normal. I don't necessarily know if that's to do with any mm-hmm. spectrum, but I just remember being so shocked by how they push you into the train and how it's just normal. I, you know, and I just was kind of lost. And these are little people like, you know, I'm mm-hmm. nearly five, seven and I couldn't. So I would just not do that. But the streets, no, you won't find that overwhelming. At I all. just feel like it's my perception it's so of it beautiful. is that it's very organized and it's fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's very cool. Calm. It's calm. You've got the Fiji part of it. Then you've got the city part of it. People are so stunningly friendly. I just think it, it's not a giveaway. They really are. I, I absolutely loved it. And it was not a passion of mine to go. Yeah. I went so that's for work, the only so place. So you would love that. Mm-hmm. Um, what makes you happy? Um, what makes me happy? What makes me happy? You're not a boozer, I presume. I haven't drank since 2014. Yeah. Um, what makes me happy? Do you guys go on foodie dates? Do you, you don't watch stuff? You just said that you're not obsessed with music. No, I love, I mean, I love watching the US office over and over and over and over (laughs) and over again in the background. I love, um, I just love when, when Noel is there and we have a plan and it's the three of us and we have a plan for the day and we're going to do it and and the routine goes to plan and you know her naps work out and um i do really enjoy that um and i love going to bed early and i love listening to podcasts you love sleep i do enjoy sleeping but it's difficult for me um i don't sleep very well um i love I love like information. I love reading. I love reading. I haven't read a book. I read. I was reading a book when I was in labour. Labour was interesting because um, I have different pain perception than mm, other you were people. Saying this, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was like sitting. I was in labour. I was induced. I was on full oxytocin. And how many weeks? Thirty-eight and three. Okay, a little bit earlier. Not too early. Yeah. And um, my waters broke when I was watching the Queen's funeral. <laughs> And um, <laughs> oh my god, that's the podcast. Yeah. What? Yes. You were just upset by it all. No, it just was <laughs> sitting. And then I was like, huh. Mine was Love Island, so yours is slightly classier. That is so funny. And then I was reading a book, and my obstetrician came in. She was like, I don't think I've ever seen someone reading you a didn't book. Find it painful. While I didn't, I didn't until five hours in, and then I was like, okay, now I need an epidural. I'm really jealous of you. I obviously have some over the top sensory. No, I find apparently everyone was like, are you the girl who's doing, are you the woman who's doing, are you induced without an epidural? And I was like, yeah, this just feels like my oh, period. And they were like, you have an issue with your periods if this is what wow. it feels like. So then after five hours, I was like, now I need an epidural. So they gave me one and it didn't work. And then I was crying. And then they all felt so bad because they knew that like I have a really high pain threshold mm, and I was crying. Like, so it must be yeah. really bad. Yeah. Then I got a second epidural and that worked. And then it was grand. Actually, sorry, I didn't go in. I failed to progress. OK. <laughs> so <laughs> I did another five hours and she was just chilled out, like just moving chilled. back up the birth canal. And then 
they were like, okay, this is now an issue because she's, you know, and they were like, we're going to have to do an emergency C-section. And then we had an emergency C-section. Well, it's not funny, but it's so funny. The whole thing with labour. I remember being in the shower and Jason rubbing my lower back as I'd back labour, but she seemed to just sit there. She was tiny and she kept being breached and this and that. As I rubbed my back and there was another lady like, I need to get in there. I'm like, bitch, I am in the shower. Like I've just gotten in and like there was this cute, it was super busy. I don't know why it was so busy. August, maybe there's something to do with sex. Yeah. Christmas. No, August and September are the busiest. Be, yeah. And I was just like, God, you're ruining my vibe. I was in so much pain. And I thought, God, am I just so dramatic but I just found it really hard and I couldn't get epidural for either because of how I was late going in or whatever oh but, um, right. I'm not into Love Island but I remember my water was breaking during Love Island I thought no this is not the right thing it's not cultured you'd like Idaho I'm reading Idaho at the moment that's a good book I haven't like I'm still reading that book that I was reading Which when I was in was labour it? it's called The Rosie Project it's amazing okay. I love it okay. I've read about that actually yeah. it's really good but I'm still reading like I usually read about two books a week and I do book reviews you on Instagram but now I don't have any time and I don't have You'll any concentration. Get your time back. You'll get yeah, the concentration goes when you have a baby. There's definitely that mum brain thing. I do believe that. Um things get a bit funky. Aurora is a beautiful name. Where did you come up with this name? Um we call her Rory. It's gorgeous. Aurora. Like as in Gilmore Girls, Rory. Do you remember the Gilmore Girls? I my mum really likes Gilmore Girls. I don't remember it, but she says that we watch it together, but I've no It's kind of sweet. No recollection. Yeah, I like Rory. Sorry for yawning. Um Oh, you're allowed on this podcast. <laughs> she I'll just take a nap. <laughs> it's not a science one like you're allowed. Um, she what did you ask me How, where did we find her name um, again really into I'm really into space mm. and stars oh, yeah, and yeah. that and so I really like the name Aurora and I wanted a name that could be shortened that we would decide what it was shortened yeah, yeah. to so that people weren't giving her nicknames yeah. but actually now we call her Rudel so it's like Why? I don't know we, I don't know how, where it's come from well, I've a Gia, so when she came out, the midwife, she was a dub, like she was the best. She was amazing. She was like, she was Rebecca as well, actually. She was like, is it because she came out of your Gia? I was like, no, it's Gia. I was like, shit, we need to throw on a H there. We died. It was the funniest. How, so how do you spell it? G-H-I-A. But she just kept saying, it was Where did you get that name? E. I was like, no, it's not. Well, it's it was actually a South African name, but in, in Italy, it's Gia. Like, there's a yeah. G-I-A in Italy, it's Gia. Yeah. And there's the Ford... G- Gia I think but in South Africa it's G-H-I-A and it's I think maybe the Dutch version but it's Gia and G-G and you know it's sweet and we thought it was great but I just never remember laughing so much I was like maybe we need to backtrack on this name so what did you call her every day G-G G-G-G yeah no you just call her a name and then the other one is Simone but the HSC seemed to have her down as Simon which I kind of find it great so she's obviously fluid now you know what I mean yeah Simon yeah so Rory can yeah they can hang out Stephanie Breisner, such a pleasure. I've been dying to dissect and discuss and talk to you. It's it's a massive challenge being a parent. I think you're killing it. I think you're super honest, which we need a little bit more of. I think we're still doing the whole perfection thing in this country. I don't know what that is. Um, so thank you for bringing a bit of truth to Instagram. Thanks, thanks for being so amazing. Thanks for having me. Yeah, delighted. That was great. This podcast is brought to you by Calpol. Is your child struggling to sleep? If so, then try using a soothing Calpol vapor plug and nightlight, an electrical plug-in device that emits lavender and chamomile vapors to soothe and comfort babies and children, helping to promote clear and easy breathing for up to eight hours. The nightlight emits a soft light to help comfort your child and guide you in the room so that you don't disturb your sleeping child. The Calpol night vapor plug and nightlight is suitable for children from three months. Calpol Vapor Plug and Nightlight is an electrical device and non-medicine. Always read the label. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode of A Little Birdie Told Me. And if you did, it would be wonderful if you could subscribe to the podcast. <laughs>